0: God is good, is He not? He is our refuge and our strength. If you'll turn with me in your Bible to Proverbs chapter 18, and we're just going to be dealing with two really short verses this morning. You know, it's during times like these and really all the time that people are searching for wisdom, whether you're in the Ukraine and you are suffering and you're wondering how should I live in times like these when you're being persecuted when bombs are going off and just the wisdom needed to navigate those situations or even our political climate right now we're seeing that intelligence is not enough knowing facts is helpful and you need to know information But there's a difference between knowing information and being able to apply that information in particular circumstances, particular new political climates, particular dangerous situations. And that's what the book of Proverbs and really the wisdom literature in general give us. God-given wisdom. However, the type of wisdom that the Bible gives us if you read the very first verses, the verse seven verses of the book of Proverbs, the kind of wisdom that we are given in the Bible says that the beginning of wisdom is the fear of God. The type of wisdom that the world offers us, the applications, while maybe good and by God's common grace, can be very helpful, it's a wisdom of a different sort. It's not a wisdom that reflects on the reality that God is sovereign, that God has chosen a people for himself, that God has a law to which all humanity is accountable. That's the kind of wisdom that God's people need. They need to hear from God's Word. They need to hear information, yes, but also how to apply it. And If you read through the book of Proverbs, the first nine chapters... Give a very straightforward list of proverbial statements, but they're all on a common theme of a father instructing his son, giving him, yes, information, but showing him how to navigate life. But after chapter 9, once you get into chapter 10, what we have is a gold mine, a gold mine of proverbial nuggets for living that are not quite as Fast and quick-witted as English proverbs, like "beggars can't be choosers," super short, pithy statement. But the way that Hebrew proverbs work is, it's like a gold mine that is deep. And what it lacks in brevity, it more than makes up for in weight and heft. And as we read God's word and read Proverbs chapter eighteen, verses ten through eleven. Maybe I'll go ahead and give you some homework to do for the rest of your week. Meditate on this. Don't let this sermon be the the end of your focus on this text. God is a refuge, and He's a real refuge for His people. And every other refuge that is promised offers a mere illusory immunity. Let's read God's Word very simply. The name of the Lord, Yahweh, is a strong tower. The righteous man runs into it and is safe. A rich man's wealth is his strong city and like a high wall in his imagination. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for giving us your word. Thank you for telling us not only who you are, but what you've done to save sinners like us. And you have not left us or abandoned us, but you have given us wise instruction. You've given us wisdom for salvation. And you've given us wisdom for living as your people. Pray that your Holy Spirit would apply this word to our hearts even this morning. It's in Jesus Christ's name that we pray. Amen. A rich man's wealth is his strong city and a high wall in his imagination. Verses, that's verse 11, verses, the name of the Lord being a strong tower and a righteous, the righteous man runs into it and is safe. What we have very simply in the title of this sermon is that. A real refuge, a real place of security, is better than an imagined immunity. What we have here is set up very simply. This is not seemingly too deep of a truth. Actually, the main point of this sermon is not something that we're, you know, it's going to take really that hard to get your mind around. But what we'll see is that the way that Proverbs work is it is really a mine that the longer we spend in it, the deeper it goes. And we see that the riches God provides for us in his words go deeper and deeper. So a really helpful thing, once again, is to memorize this, to think about it throughout this week. But before you go on that task, we have to understand what it means. And I think once we get into it, we'll see that it means probably more than what you read on the surface level. And let's start off with the very first word of this, which is the last word in our English Bibles, a strong tower. See, this proverb, just like beggars can't be choosers, paints a picture for us for understanding the scene. And the scene here of a strong tower is of a defensive fortification. In the ancient Near East, defending your city was not too complicated because you just had armies and calvaries to deal with or chariots. What you would do is you just have built a very strong, large wall around your city, a wall that's wide enough that you can have people walking and standing post on it. You have a gate, and you probably only really want one gate because a gate is going to be the weak area in the wall to let people come in and go out. And along that wall, you're going to want to have some high points, some towers, and the towers can have many different uses. First, it's going to be tall and elevated above the rest so that you can have a larger field of vision to see approaching armies, when to sound the alarm bells to co- tell people to come in and hide behind the safety of the wall. But you're also going to have, you know, a stairway in there to be able to go up. You're going to have it hollowed out so that you can have storage and supplies hidden right there, right along the edge of your city where you need defensive fortification. So very obviously, the strong tower is security, safety, help. What's the subject? What is the safety, security, and help for the believer? It's the name of the Lord. Why do we need towers and defenses? Why do we need the name of the Lord to be our security? Well, it's because we live in a dangerous world. Maybe 20 years ago, that would have been something I would have had to convince you of to tell you about, hey, persecution is, I know you don't really feel it, but um, persecution is you people not liking you at work when you say something about Christ, when you tell people to turn from their sins and put their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and that he's the only hope, you would have offended people and that their mocking you would have been persecution. But I don't think I really have to spend too much time convincing you that we live in a dangerous world. We're looking overseas right now at what could potentially be the start of a World War III situation. This world is ruled by the devil and his minions. Ephesians chapter 2 characterizes the kingdoms of this world as under his influence, his power. And yes, he has been defeated. Revelation chapter 12, he has been defeated. But the devil prowls around like a roaring lion still today, seeking who he may devour. We need to run to God. We need security because we're in danger in this world. Once we're in heaven, we won't need security any longer. We'll be in God's presence, made perfect in holiness in his presence. But until then, we live in a dangerous world. The danger is real. How then is the name of the Lord helpful? How is that security that we are to hide in Well, it's because of what's in a name. A name doesn't really mean too much to us. We just say, we group some syllables that sound nice together, and that's our child's name. But what's in a name? Well, Jesus in John chapter 17, he says when he's talking to his disciples, praying for them, he says that I have manifested, Jesus, your name to the people whom you've given me out to the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they they have kept your word. Jesus then talks about, and this is the Father's, the name of the triune God. He says, verse eleven, and I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you, Holy Father. Keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them. I kept them in your name. What is Jesus talking about here? What's, what's subsumed in the name of God is His character. It's who He is. When God gave His name, Yahweh, to Israel at Mount Sinai, He was revealing to him to them himself. God himself is what's being represented by a name. And it just so happened that this morning that we were studying about this God in the, uh, shorter ca- in the uh, Confession, chapter 2. Let me just read to you about this name and about why we should find our security in the name of Yahweh. The Westminster Confession of Faith, summarizing all the truths about God, Says there is but one only living and true God, who is infinite in being and perfection, a most whole a most pure spirit, invisible, without body, parts, or passions, immutable, unchanging, immense, very, very large. A most pure spirit, uh, eternal. He has no beginning. He has no end. Incomprehensible. Not that we can't understand God, but the fact that the nature of God being immense, being eternal, being without limit, our finite minds can only grab onto and get our hands around only so much. He's revealed Himself truly in His Word, but even what we see in His Word it's just a fraction of who He is. And we cannot, even on the Bible, we cannot get our minds and our hearts around all that He is. And we can spend our lifetime learning more and more about who He is. He's almighty, most wise, most holy, most free, most absolute, working all things out according to the counsel of His own immutable and most righteous will. It just keeps going and going and going. The thing that grants us security and safety in this life, if you're going to live in the real world, you have to deal with the fact that there's a God who made it, and there's a God who designed it, and He is to be where we put all our trust in. This is why the kings of Israel were constantly, while they're being tempted by disaster, tempted by an overwhelming force coming against them, God would constantly call out to them, don't trust in Egypt. Don't trust in the Assyrians or the Babylonians. Don't trust in your own resources and wealth to protect you, your own armies. Trust in my name, in my word. Why? Because I will protect you. I will guard you. I will keep you. And what we've been given in the New Testament is an even further elaboration on why we find security in this name. Think about at the name of Jesus. What's significant about the name of Jesus? Philippians chapter 2 says that God has exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth, and under the earth, and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Paul there in Philippians is quoting Isaiah 43, uh, 45, 23, quoting the name of Yahweh, that God said, I myself will redeem, I myself will save, and at my name, Yahweh, every knee will bow. That's the name that belongs to Jesus as the second person of the Trinity. As the Son of God, He is Yahweh. At the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. But not only that, but Acts 4.12 says that there is no other name given among men, given among men whereby we can be saved. God's world right now is under His wrath and curse. If we are going to live in God's world, you have to deal with that fact. That's why we're in danger right now. It's because this world is under God's wrath and curse. But he's provided a hope of salvation. True security that if you confess Jesus Christ, if you look to him and his cross to pay for your sins, you will have eternal life. If you trust in him, you'll have a security that cannot possibly be taken away from you. Because right now, we, we tend to fixate on our ter- uh, current circumstances. The trials that are, that are in our face right now, or the lack thereof. But if we're going to live in God's world, we need to realize that there's also a heaven and a hell. This world is not all there is. There's a greater threat looming on humanity than World War III. There's a greater threat than us being denied our, even our religious privileges. The threat that looms over all humanity is that sinners will be punished, but there is a way of escape through trust in Jesus Christ. That's always, and that's never changed, always been the reality of this world. It's in the name of Jesus that we have salvation, in the name of Yahweh. But what does that mean? We're given some more elaboration on this in the next half, the next cola. The righteous man runs into it and is safe. First, notice that the righteous man is the one who runs into it. When we talk about this hope of security I just, that I was just talking about, I was really talking about conversion. I was talking about the hope of heaven that we are given and that we're to turn to Christ for salvation. But here, the dangerous world that the person living in is already righteous. He's already belongs to God. If he was not righteous, if he was not a righteous man, he would have no city to run into. There would be no walls of refuge that he could hide behind, no tower that he could get up on to stand at a safe distance from armies and chariots. How is this man called righteous? Well, if you are reading through the book of Proverbs, you see constantly there's two ways held before humanity. There's the way of the wicked and the way of the righteous, and they're constantly being compared. We have to take a step back at this moment and say, how is a man made righteous before God? Genesis chapter 15, verse 6, looks at Abraham and says that Abraham believed God, the promises that he made, and it was credited to him as righteousness. That Abraham believed and was saved, and that's the way it's always worked, Romans chapter 4 is very clear about this. It's the same in the Old Testament and the New Testament. Those who believe God are credited as righteous in His sight. How does that work? When we believe in God and His promises, He accepts us as righteous in, in His sight, pardoning all of our sins because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross. That's the part that they did not know in the Old Testament. They knew that God would send a Redeemer, that He would make a provision to make people right with God, but they didn't see the means yet. They saw that a mediator would come, but we now have the benefit that we see how we've been made righteous. It's because of Jesus and His perfect life that He lived and everything He did to save us That when God looks at us, the amazing thing is, yes, we're a sinner. We have done nothing good. But if you belong to God, if you trust in Him, and you identify with His church, that you are part of the body of Christ, and He is your head, then you are looked at by God as righteous. But the righteous, those who are justified by God, are still in danger in this world. The rich and the wicked still in this, live in this sin-cursed world where danger is a threat to us. And the righteous man is told to run into it, the strong tower, so that he'll be safe. The real refuge is God, specifically In Christ, we have salvation. That's a real refuge, and that's the only real refuge that this world has to offer. How do we run into it? Remember, this is not talking about conversion. How do you, if you trust in Christ, how do you run into the refuge of God? How do you take that strong tower and that wall that's supplied for you, how do you take that and find safety and security in it. That's why we're given a contrasting statement. What we're given is this contrast that illuminates verse 10 for us. And what we see is an imagined immunity. We see that this real refuge that's found in the name of God belonging to Christ, that that's contrasted with an imagined immunity. Verse 11 says, a rich man's wealth is his strong city, and like a high wall in his imagination. We have the same image that's paralleled together. Not all the Proverbs are like this. Sometimes Proverbs are just one verse, and that's all you get before it changes subject to the next verse and the next verse. But here we have this context of these two verses that help illuminate one another, and the connection is not just artificial. I'm not just making this up. The word there we have is safe is the same word in verse 11. In verse 10, the word is safe is the same word in verse 11 as a high wall. The word there in verse 10 is more like a dynamic translation. It's giving the sense of the word. It's really that the righteous man is set up high. Where? Set up high in the tower. And if he's set up high, the picture there is that he's safe, that he's about, elevated, there we go, elevated above the battlefield, out of reach from the bow, that he is safe up there. And the rich man, likewise, he has his city, he has his walls, and he is like, he sees his wealth as the thing that makes it his wall high, that he is set up high, out of harm's reach on a wall. First, I think it's important to say that when we talk about the imagined immunity and talk about the rich being here the person who's a fool, what it's not saying is that it's sinful to be rich or that rich people have a sinfulness about them or a foolishness about them. We know that the Bible does not, condone, uh, does not condemn owning wealth because, well, Abraham was a very rich man. Job was the richest man who was righteous. Joseph, Boaz, Solomon. What about Joseph of Arimathea, the rich man who provided a tomb for Jesus or Lydia or Philemon? But riches don't make people morally superior either. We have 1 Samuel 25, Abigail and Nabal. We have in the same household a guy who's named Fool, Nabal. That's what his name means. And then you have righteous Abigail. We have, in not only that, but in Luke chapter 12, or uh, Matthew chapter 10 rather, we have the parable of the rich young ruler who ends up being a fool not willing to forsake his riches and follow after Christ. The problem with the rich man here and what makes him a fool is that his strong city is not the name of the Lord. His strong city, just like the rich young ruler, was his wealth. What's the problem with trusting in your wealths to provide security and safety we see why people do it the rich man did it because he had so much giving all that up meant that he would lose prestige among his peers power influence wealth seems to at least in worldly sense provide you a lot of security Some of us are better at managing our money than others, but all of us spend money on something. I don't like to spend money at all. What I like to spend money on is putting money in my bank account, security, having a sense of when I'm in trouble, do I have money in my bank account? When I'm in trouble, do I have enough money to pay all the bills That's what's getting aimed at here. It's at people like me who are investing our money in the bank. And it's okay to invest your money in the bank. It's okay to spend your money on future security. But your real stronghold needs to be the name of the Lord. Why? Why? Because God is in control of all things what Dennis just read from Luke chapter 12. What made the rich man foolish was not the fact that he was gaining wealth and was increasing his wealth. It was that that was all he thought about. That was his all-consuming passion. It's what he, he thought he could just build an additional barn and eat, drink, and mar- be merry. That he had nothing to fear or nothing to worry about. And he was a fool because God was about to take it all from him, even his own life. Wealth does not, it does not make you immune to disaster either. Notice that the rich man has a wall. The rich man, just like the righteous, will encounter dangers in this life, things that threaten them. The difference is where they run to and whether the safety that it offers is just merely imagined. And it doesn't have to just be wealth. There's lots of different things which in this life provide us with a sense of security. That's really what's being aimed at, is the subjective sense that we have that we are secure. And let me ask you, what is in your life that make, gives you a sense of security and safety? What provides you with the sense that when the, when the trial happens, where do you run to? That is what God is aim, aiming at. In our therapeutic culture, we're given constantly different coping mechanisms too, aren't we? We have lots of ways of dealing with our stress. And we're told to relieve our stress, get our mind off things, do yoga. But the problem is, is with those things, it doesn't actually deal with the actual issue. The problem with the rich man's strong city is that very last word. It's all in his imagination. Job said that God gives and God can take away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. When it comes to our wealth, we tend to depend upon ourselves. We see in our own ability to provide for our own needs. Is it wise to plan for the future? Yes, it is wise to plan for the future. But our hope and security, if we place it in our own self, it can be taken away from us. That is just a figment of our imagination that God can undo at any time. So what is our hope? How do we actually run to it? Well, a rich man runs to his wealth when problems happen. He looks to his bank account. What are we to do? We are to have faith in this God. We are to have faith that this God is the Lord, our God, that He will protect us, that He will provide for us. The Westminster Confession actually provides something really helpful. Yes, saving faith is a faith that is, enables our hearts to believe on what God has done, specifically in Jesus Christ. Belief in what he has done to accomplish our salvation. But faith is more than that. The same faith that believed God's word, that God sent his son to die on the cross for our sins, is the same faith that is to believe whatever God has revealed in his word. Because God speaks in his word. Faith that Christians are to have uh, this is Westminster Confession of Faith 14, paragraph two. acts differently upon that which each uh, acts differently depending on what is contained in Scripture. It yields obedience to the commands, it trembles at the threatenings, and embraces the promises of God for this life and that which is to come. The faith that's being commended, how we run to God. It's where our trust is. We all have this uh, fight, or flight, uh, fight or flight mentality when we're backed into a corner, when we feel threatened. We all have this. And what this is getting at is, when you are in trouble, run to the Lord. Turn to Him. Notice that He doesn't say, Walk. He doesn't say, you know, look at. He says run. We are to, when we see disaster coming, if you are outside of the walls of the city and you heard a trumpet sounding and knowing that an approaching army is coming, you drop everything that you're doing to run to safety, run behind the wall. That's supposed to be the impulse for the Christian we do that, one way that we exercise our faith is that we pray. When we're in times of trouble, it's so easy to figure out how we can do, get out of our situation, how we can manage the problem, or manage our stresses, or manage our anxieties. 1 Peter 5, 6 through 10 says that we are to Cast up our anxieties on him because he cares for us, that we are to bring our prayers to God, bring our needs to him, knowing that our God hears us and cares for us and will answer. The safety that he provides, we can trust him with the results. He is sovereign over it all, and it might include suffering in this life but we know that God is good. We know that the name of the Lord is a strong tower. Those who take refuge in him are safe. The difference here between the real refuge and the imagined immunity is the fact that what the object of that faith is. The object of the rich man's faith in this proverb is his wealth. He trusts in it to solve all his problems. Dear Christian, the object of our faith that is real and solid is to be the Lord our God. This makes the study of his word so important. The faith that we're given, it varies in degrees among people, does it not? Some people have strong faith. Some people have weak faith. What we're all called to do is to strengthen our faith. Read his word. Pray. Be here. Worshiping God on his day. Partaking of the sacraments. The Lord's Supper. Having him feed our faith and nourish us. We're to grow in our faith and our trust. Grow in our knowledge of him and all that he has done. Grow in our knowledge specifically of Jesus Christ. How many times does Paul tell us, in Christ, you were saved? You were purchased by his blood. You belong, body and soul, to him. Everything that he did on the cross was to purchase your salvation. That's the object of our trust. And this is the only thing that is sure and solid in this life. Right living begins with faith in Christ, and it also ends there. It begins with faith in Christ, and our whole life is marked by faith in this God who can care for all our needs. Isn't that what Hebrews 11 is all about? Hebrews 11 gives us a whole history of men whose life were marked by faith in God, whose God was their solid refuge some of them died pretty brutal deaths, but they had a promise, a promise of eternal life that they clung to, and God was good, and God was merciful, and he gave them their promise delayed, but he did give them. Not delayed in, delayed in our sense, not delayed in the sense of God's timing, This is the wisdom of the child of God. But this is not wisdom for the unconverted. Like I said earlier, if you do not trust in God, if this God is not yours, if your faith, if the wisdom that you live in this world does not begin with faith in Jesus Christ, you have nowhere to run. You have nowhere to run for safety from your biggest problem, which is the wrath of God upon our sins. And you don't have, you have, might have cities offered to you of refuge, walls which tell you that if you hide behind them, you will be safe, but you won't. If you haven't lived long enough to figure out and to try out all those different options, don't waste your time. Don't waste your time trying all the different options that are held out before you to invest your life in those things, whether it's in gaining riches, becoming famous, or TikTok famous, or YouTube famous. All those things promise you, make big promises, that you will find value in those things, but you won't. They will not satisfy. Don't waste your time. But if you look back on your life and you see your life and see how many times you've ran to different cities for safety just to discover that it was all an illusion. The good news is is that Jesus Christ, He is our righteousness. He is a safety refuge that's held out before us all. Isaiah 55 says, Seek the Lord while He may be found and call upon Him while he is near if you're here and sitting before me god calls you to run to him that he will be your strong tower he will be a refuge of safety to you let's go to him in prayer heavenly father thank you for giving us your word i pray that we would meditate on the truths of your word and live a wise life. Lord, we do have held up before us so many different options that are proclaiming themselves to be safe places that we won't have to worry about the dangers of this life as long as we trust in those things. Heavenly Father, may we always run to you. We know in our own hearts that we're often deceived to think that Our wealth and our own resources are what we are to depend upon in times of trials. Lord, I pray that you would give our hearts wisdom. Wisdom to know that you alone are God. That we're not in control of our lives. You are in control. And that we depend upon you for everything. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would help us to not trust in our own imaginations, not be deceived, but instead find our real refuge in you. It's in Jesus Christ's name that we pray. Amen.